Now, I have to say, Micah has to be one of the most compelling stories in the Bible. You see, it's born out of the Israelites' failure. Though it isn't completely clear what exactly they've done, we can deduce that generally they've failed to create the community God envisioned, which was liberating rather than binding, whether that be socially, economically, or politically. It seems like there's a growing community of religious leaders that talk the talk, but don't quite walk the walk. As Micah puts it, they're advocating for peace while making poor, while making war on the poor and powerless. We do know that they had commercialized the priesthood and prophets, so only those with money had access to their spiritual services. In the chapters leading up to chapter 6, Micah's pronouncing judgment on the religious leaders. Their lip service and their formal sacrifices to God are missing the mark. They've been taught their entire lives to give their sacrifices to God at the temple, but Micah turns their idea of what that could mean on its head. In verses 6 and 7, Micah speaks as if he were the people that he's condemning. So he says, or he makes a list of potential offerings that escalate in value. So he says, God told us to make sacrifices. What should we be giving to God? Burnt offerings? calves a year old, which would have been very expensive, and then thousands of rams, tens of thousands of rivers of oil, my firstborn child? Now we should note that Micah never says that they should not be giving their sacrifices to God. In fact, the people are rightly considering the nature of their offering that they've been commanded to give. And he, but he said he's setting himself up to make a larger point. His point is that none of these symbols or religious practices, not even the sacrifice of the utmost value, the life of a precious child, could possibly mean anything when they're stripped from the context that gives them meaning, which is the dem divine demands of justice and mercy. What Micah is saying is that God does not require a specific type of offering. He requires a specific type of of person. And by speaking about their offerings to God in these almost sarcastic terms, Micah's actually asking a huge question that's central to the Bible and that's central to our lives as Christians. What does God want from me? And then God gives them an answer that they don't seek and that they're definitely not expecting. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with me. So for us, as people in a community of faith that profess to love and honor God, God has expectations for us, just as we have expectations in any healthy relationship that we form. God expects that we shape our lives in this way, by doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. However, I am not trying to say that this is, it's as simple as that situation, or even that it's easy, because I think it's obvious that perhaps justice isn't our default operating system, and maybe um, humility isn't our second nature. 
Most often, what I think we do is continue to benefit from broken systems and maintain our surface level understanding of God because it's what we've always been taught because that is what's easier. To say, do justice, or walk humbly with God, sometimes feels like trying to define the word the, or trying to stop a yawn. It feels impossible. But these expectations are things we must work to enact in our communities. I think part of what makes it so difficult is that in order to do them, we must be mindful of our own misgivings, and then mindful of the misgivings of society at large, and then we have to change them. That's huge. We must learn how to walk the fine line between two extremes, between meaningless piety and detached social justice. And even more, to enact justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God are not single acts that can be checked off a list and then left behind. These acts are life shapers. We can't give a, homeless, a person experiencing homelessness a gift card on Thanksgiving, but avoid examining systemic injustices that contribute to why we have so many people living without homes on our streets. We can't teach our children to be forgivers and then hold a grudge. We can't repost or share Martin Luther King Jr. quotes on MLK Day, but not seek racial equality in our everyday lives. Micah is calling us to daily acts of love and justice that reorient our hearts and our lives, and therefore our communities. This is no simple task. But I would say that walking humbly with God is perhaps the most important of these three commands because it informs the other two. But what does it actually mean? I once heard it described beautifully. The humble walk with God is a walk of holy reverence and awe across the planet with people being attuned to and learning from the divine spirit that pulsates at the heart of it all. Walking humbly with God is grounded in our eagerness to be absorbed and enthralled by the heartbeat of creation. This is the same creation that God began carefully crafting so long ago and the creation that we get to partner with God in creating now. Doing this is more about the journey. It's about each step rather than doing it because your interim minister stood up here and told you to. When we're being attentive to our relationship with God and the whole of creation, we want to do justice and we want to love kindness. But it would be negligent of me to avoid speaking specifically about the theme of doing justice in the passage as we sit in our current day and age. Because right now, in our political climate, it's a common belief that to take a stance on an issue, any issue, is to be divisive, no matter what your beliefs are. But as Christians, we long to be in unity, so it creates a dichotomy. 
we are often reluctant to get specific about the ethical issues we see in our world. But we wrongly assume that unity comes from avoiding differences in opinion. Rather, unity is inherent in God's creation. All of creation is part of the unified web of life, human and non-human alike. We fall out of unity when we neglect to be in right relationship with God, and when that happens, we fall out of right relationship with each other and with the natural world. However, a vital part of this, and hear me when I say it, is that we cannot forget to love kindness as we do our justice. We should speak out about the things God has given us great passion for, and we should do it with love. This gets at the heart of Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God, I'm sure you know it, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he adds the second without being asked. Love your neighbor as yourself. Part of that love is treating each situation with the care and the nuance that it requires. Because in Micah, God envisions a world in which the powerless are lifted up to be equal in stature with those that oppress them. And the world around us is treated with the dignity God has given to it. God envisions a world in which we do the legwork to see that justice through. And Andrew uh, Connors comments on this text in Micah with such truth. He says, before we handle this text, we must prepare ourselves to be handled by its prophetic vision, a vision that sees the ethical world not as a threat to unity, but as a place where faith finds its legs. So I leave you with one question today. Where are our legs? Amen.